Hi, welcome to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and joining me is Nathan Makaborski. Hello there. And John Schwartz. Hello. Made it through the ALDS, guys. How are we feeling other than tired? Ugh. Pretty, uh, pretty amazed. That was a heck of a series. A lot of fun. <laughs> uh, definitely need to catch up on some sleep after that, but uh, well worth it. How different are the emotions for everybody right now compared to Friday night? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, night and day. Yeah, after that game two loss, I mean, I didn't want to look at a baseball on Saturday. I wanted nothing to do with sports. I was so disheartened. But, uh, I mean, give this team credit. Every last guy on the on the roster believed that they could do this, and uh, it's really pretty remarkable. I mean, to beat an Indians team that was so good all year that had won 22 straight games not when, that long ago. When was the last time they had ever lost three in a row I think it was this June. season? It June. was in June. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, they, they really pulled off quite a feat. So excited uh, to take the next step here. Headed to the ALCS and uh, leading the way, manager Joe Girardi, kind of a, a great comeback for him. And that brings us to a story that John wrote for this October issue of Yankees Magazine about Joe and the Joe Girardi show. So, John, tell us a little bit about our manager, Joe Girardi. Well, it's tough. I mean, it, it, it's it's been a weird week to talk about Joe Girardi. Um, I did not think when we put this uh, story in the October issue that uh, – Girardi's on-field work would become a story. I mean, Girardi, he's been around here a long time, and when you manage a team for a long time, there are going to be people who love you, and there are going to be people who don't. But we can argue back and forth about the whole issue of the challenge or anything like that and how important it was and how wrong or right it was. But one thing you expect, kind of, is just that Joe Girardi is Joe Girardi, and you're going to know what to expect from him. I did not expect for him to be the defining uh, off-day story. But, you know, obviously, now that uh, things have uh, resettled themselves, I guess we can talk about <laughs> the Joe Girardi show. So basically, just to give a little bit of background here, I had noticed over the course of the season that Meredith Morakovitz on her social media accounts was posting these fun pictures from these trips they were taking to film the Yes Network's Joe Girardi show. And it had previously been this just kind of like studio show. And I mean, no disrespect when I say this, just very recappy, very much talking about the week before and talking about the week to come. And there are people who love that. And it serves a purpose. I don't know how much use I have for something like that. And all of a sudden, though, they were just going on these road trips together. And I became fascinated by this idea of this changing perspective on Joe Girardi. And that's what I decided to look into with the story, which was, what is Joe Girardi like for these shoots? And how do they how do they work? What were your impressions of Joe before doing the story? What were your impressions during the story? What are your impressions now? I can start with expectations first, which was... I mean, I, I think Girardi's great to work with. Um, I've never had a bad one-on-one -on -one experience with him. Anytime I've needed something, he's been easy to deal with. He's thoughtful. He's smart. Certainly prepared. experienced. He's experienced. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, my experience with him in personally was just, you know, this is a very rigid, very, you know, direct-centered, in a sense, person on who he was. Um, and he wasn't going to really perform for anyone or anything. And that was part of what intrigued me about this. If you go watch some of the old episodes of it you know he's getting his family involved and his daughter lena and he's just very different on this show he's very engaged he's really excited about when he's talking to people about the things that they do best he really really has a lot of questions i talk about it a lot in the story you know he's kind of obsessed with like 
pizza makers and their pepperoni and like just the way that they get the like perfect curls of burnt pepperoni and you can see that this is a guy who like is not just you know trying to fill time on a tv show like he really really wants to learn more he, about like, this pepperoni. actually legitimately interested in this pepperoni right and the thing is so how does that jive with a guy who you know acts so emotionless on the field who just scowls as he you know heads to the mound to you know, make a pitching change and things like that. Uh, where is, is this where he's getting his joy? Is, is it that he's performing on the camera or is it that he's performing in the dugout? That was what I really wanted to find out. And the answer is? The answer to me, it seems like it, it seems like a life in baseball teaches you how to put on your game face. But I don't think that you can have a game face in the way he is when he's saying to you know, someone at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in just a total non sequitur why Dire Straits needs to be inducted into the Hall of Fame and going through all the reasons why they need to be... like That That, that you can't just... Joe Girardi likes to do a lot of research and he likes to be prepared for everything, but that doesn't strike me as something like, okay, I need to, I have prepared a one-minute monologue on Dire Straits. You can tell that's a <laughs> lifetime of thinking about Dire Straits. Um, so which is real... It seems to me it's more likely that it's the guy who's, you know, pitching Dire Straits for the Hall of Fame. Why can't two things be true, though? I feel like why can't he be... The guy who loves Dire Straits and wants him to be in a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and also the rigid manager. Like, he can be both things, can he? Well, in reality, he probably is to, yeah. a, to a degree. My my question, though, is can he really be so emotional in one side and so emotionless in the other side? I think, to me, it seemed like, you know, I mean, there again, not there's an example I put in the story. You guys know every home game this season, you know, he meets with the media before every game. But for every home game, he's done it wearing the t-shirt of a charitable organization. And if you watch him, what he does is he sits down behind the microphone and does about two minutes on what this organization is. He has a paper next to him so he can make sure he gets details right. But he names the people involved with it. He gives a little bit of information about how it started and what it is. Now, the reality is there's a couple people watching this you know, live feed probably who are seeing that. The media, it was a novelty, and it was interesting the first day, uh, the first couple days, and they wrote about it. But really, like, he's not getting that much you know, publicity for these people by doing this. But he's doing it because it's important. There's no reason for it to happen other than it's important to him, that he has a microphone, and he has a bunch of people who are listening to him, and so he's going to spend two minutes of his day talking about this. I don't think that's what most people think of when they think of Joe Girardi, but the fact of the matter is, if you work around him and you and you go to these press conferences every day it is the first thing you hear him say so i think that there is that side to him obviously there is that side to him that just very cares very deeply about his players and winning but at the same time if he feels like he's gonna need to sit you down even if that might you know affect your belief in yourself or your confidence or your impression of who you are he needs he, he wears jersey number 28 right now and he wants to wear jersey number 29 next year mm-hmm. so he's gonna do whatever it takes to make that happen yeah, and um, you know, cares very deeply about his family too, which comes across in this piece. I, I like the part about his daughter's involvement in the show this year. I, I thought that was you know an important aspect to include in this piece. Which, no, I, I, overall, I, I really enjoyed this piece a lot. I think it's hard to say I'm going to write a story about a manager, you know, who's, who's been here for a long time. It's it's mid season. It's tough to come up with kind of unique angles sometimes. Like if we just say, all right, let's what, what can we write about Joe Girardi? Well. He managed 162 games this year for the you know ninth or tenth year in a row that he's been here. So I thought this was a really kind of unique way to show him in a different light. You know, all the pictures in here are of him off field, and I thought that what I came away with after reading this is that 
Joe is a guy who really just appreciates greatness. So on all these trips, he seems to be kind of drawn to other people who have had success in whatever the field may be, whether it's rock and roll or making pepperoni pizza or, you know, you went down to Dallas and you have a picture of him looking at the the Super Bowl trophies there. He spent a lot of time staring at those. Yeah, it's a guy who he's, I could kind of, see him taking notes through the story about just how other people who have had success, what they've done to to get there. Um, And I mean, here's the thing. You can watch the episode on Yes Network. You can go to yesnetwork.com and find the episode. uh, The one I focused on was his trip to the um, new Dallas Cowboys uh, training facility in Frisco, Texas. I really tried to do a good job of explaining this in the story. And I I hope it gives some background so that if you watch the episode, you could see it. I cannot express to you, as interesting and as lavish as that place was, I cannot explain to you the way that like a switch just went clicked in his entire body when we went into that weight room. And he was just looking <laughs> around there and just marveling at this machinery and asking so many questions. And Meredith, who is a great host of this show and a great partner for Joe in doing the show, I mean, she didn't have to do anything he was interviewing this strength and conditioning coach about all the equipment asking questions literally marveling at it like it was a child i mean um, he's a gym rat beyond so. yeah i mean I, I mentioned the story you know his 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 weight right now is within five pounds of his playing weight which is players don't people don't do that they don't stay in that kind of shape after they retire you again this is not to keep repeating myself you can't fake that like that wasn't like a guy who was saying okay the red light's on and i need to look like i'm excited about this you know maybe there were other parts of the day that it was a little bit of faking it but when he got into that weight room and he's talking to a guy whose job it is to train NFL players, this was literally Joe Girardi's wheelhouse. And I thought that was a lot of fun. And I thought that, you know, first off, the Cowboys were amazing at giving us all the access to this place. Um, the Yes Network team involved in this, from Meredith to the producer, uh, Eric rolled into all the camera. It, it's just a great operation they have. I really, I say this probably 36 times on these podcasts so far, I'm a total sucker for behind the scenes things. Um, which is why I was excited to do this story. And it was really fun just to watch how they make this TV show, which, you know, they filmed on Friday and on Sunday it was, you know, on TV. Yeah. You know, I, I got to spend a couple of weeks writing the story. They got to spend a couple of hours editing this TV show. That stuff was really fun for me. I was glad I got to see it. But I really, like I said, I just enjoyed, you know, I'm going to be back here next year. And I assume Joe Girardi's going to be back here next year. And we'll do 162 games together. And it's just it's nice when you see something that is a little bit different from what your expectations are. And that was what my goal with the story was, was just to say, you know what? You you yell at this guy through your TV screen and you freak out at the decisions he makes or you love him when the decisions go right. I think if you take away game two of this division series and you look at the wildcard game and four of the other <laughs> playoff games, it seems like every button he pushed in this playoffs other than that one moment, has really come of gold. So that's an important part of who he is, but I think it's important to see these other parts of him too, which is how he is when he's with his family, which is how he is when he's thinking about his father and using that inspiration to put a pizza oven in his backyard and perfect the art of making pizza because that's how he feels a connection to his father. I think that you know anything that you can do to understand, whether it's you know Ronald Torres or Aaron Judge, or Joe Girardi, to understand them a little bit better, I think it enhances your ability to watch the games and experience the team in full. Definitely. And I think you nailed it with the story. I think it, it shows a different side of Girardi, like Nate was saying, something that you don't get to see often. So 
Great work with it. And question for you, which is the better trophy, the Vince Lombardi trophy or the Commissioner's trophy for the World Series? You, you've, saw, you've seen them both up close now. So the Commissioner's trophy, it changed a couple years back. And I say a couple, it's more like 15 now, I think. Uh, I happen to think the new version is just glorious and gorgeous. Um, it's just a perfect trophy. The old one was a little bit like tacky, um, kind of like some weird gold stuff there. Um, the problem I have with the Commissioner's Trophy is if you look at old Commissioner's Trophies, those little flags at the top of it, they're not that sturdy, and half of them are kind of like bent down. Or mm-hmm. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. great when you look at it for the first time, but, you know, it takes a lot of work to keep that going. There's something very perfect about the Vince Lombardi Trophy. I love that, it, like, you look at the Vince Lombardi Trophy and you just know this trophy must go to the football champion. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's just very clear. Um, I remember I used to take the bus to school with a kid whose parents worked for Tiffany and they're, they were on the group that actually every year would do the trophy. And he would always talk about that come Super Bowl time. So for me, I think I do have a slight affinity for, uh, uh, and maybe even a preference for the Vince Lombardi trophy. <laughs> but with that said, you know, I, I think there are 25 guys uh, who work in this building who, uh, you know, should they bring home the commissioner's trophy, they're probably not going to ask me what my preference is. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably least likely question to be asked. I will say, um, I, I think it was before we started filming when Girardi was just kind of looking over the trophies. Someone asked him, you know, so which is better? The, the, <laughs> that same question. And <laughs> he was just like, well, I don't know what it's like to play. I mean, it was like the perfect Girardi answer. It wasn't like anything like, he's like, well, I don't know what it's like to play for this one, but I know what it's like to play for And it's just like, okay, well, that's, you know, that, that's how you, you, you open your binder. Great politically correct exactly. answer, like, But I don't, even, I don't even know if political correctness is the thing there. I think it's just like this idea that, like, again, it goes back to what I've been saying here. You know, there, there are certain, if you ask him about, you know, what kind of pepperoni he likes better, you know, he'll give you a dissertation on it. But you talk about these trophies and it just, <laughs> he just reverts to baseball Joe Girardi and the answer is contained herein. And mm-hmm. these are the, you know, this, this is how I came to my decision and my conclusion, yada, yada, yada. It's, it's just... Cite 17 sources and you, you got a great answer. Exactly. Well, John, I think our readers appreciate your penchant for doing behind the scenes work. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I think you take people into a place where few are allowed, <laughs> and it makes for a great story. So this is uh, it's called The Showman. It's in the October issue of Yankees Magazine, which if you're a subscriber, you should have received by now. And if you were at the stadium for any of those exciting games last week, the wild card game or the division series games, uh, it's the same same program, essentially. We put a, a different cover on for those series, but the insides are all the same. The Joe Girardi features in there, Hillary's... Gary Sanchez feature, which we discussed on the last episode, is in there. And there's a uh, a lot of other stuff, too, to check out. So be sure to pick up the October issue, our last official issue of 2017, although we never stop working. So. There's always something yeah, going you'll on. You'll have to stay tuned to see what's, what's next from the Yankees Publications Department. Stick around for that. And also, coming up on the podcast, we're going to talk a little recap of the ALDS and a little preview of the ALCS. So stick around. So, honestly, guys... When we were down 0-2, did you ever expect that we would be here now preparing for Game 1 of the American League Championship Series? Well, I mean, for me, uh, I will say that I have been in baseball long enough to know that 
you can expect anything. I mean, anything can happen. Nothing really shocks me. But I will say that this one was particularly memorable just because of the way we lost game two. Sometimes I can't detach myself from being a fan, and I was, like I said earlier, really disheartened after that loss. But clearly, the guys in that clubhouse were not. You hear baseball players talk about it all the time. It's such a cliche. you got to turn the page. Tomorrow's a new day. They were able to do that. You know, while everybody in New York was kind of stewing over that tough loss, uh, they turned the page, and they looked ahead to game three. And, boy, what a what a game that was. What a game. You know? Tanaka coming up huge Tanaka in coming that up game. huge. Greg Bird with the solo shot. Aaron Judge with the catch to rob the two-run homer in a one nothing win. And, um, you know, it definitely brought back memories of the flip play. You know, it was kind of the same scenario where it's a best of five series. We're down 0-2 and just a really, really tight game three where you kind of felt like one play could be the difference. And in that game, it was a, a Jorge Posada solo home run. And it was a, you know, a tag out at home plate. And in this game, it was a defensive play out in right field where our <laughs> good thing our right fielder is six foot seven. Didn't barely even have to jump for that yeah. ball. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what a huge play that was. And then Greg Bird comes up the next inning with the solo homer. And after that, it was like, okay, may, maybe we can, you know, string some life, something some together. Life, here. Yeah. yeah the, the pulse was, was back for sure. After that game, and really after every game so far, at Yankee Stadium, whether it was the wild card game or the two home games during the division series, all the players talked about what a boost the crowd has given them so far. The crowd and has been insane. It, it has. And, and really, I don't remember it being this loud, even in 2009, when we were winning. And I think because, you know, our backs were never really against the wall in the same way in 2009 you know we were never forced into that elimination situation um so you know when 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 it's do or die i mean the crowd is locked in from the first pitch and so i think that has been an, a factor as well into why these crowds have been so great so far it, it, it's a uh... It's a strange thing because, you know, Nate, you and I both have been to a lot of postseason games um, in the Bronx. That wild card game was insane, mm-hmm. the sound in this place. I, I literally, I can't express like just how crazy that crowd was. The crowd, uh, I, I personally wasn't here for game three, but what everyone said was that the moment after that Greg Bird home run was louder than anything they'd heard in 2009. Yeah, I was sitting in the press box for that, and it was a wall of just, I, I can't explain it. It was the loudest I've ever heard. And you and I were sitting next to each other in the for the wild card game, John, and Yes, it was, it was madness. It was madness. Yeah. But the Greg Bird home run, I've never heard anything like it. I also think it's just this group. This is a different group. And you can go you can go back to it and say, you know, this idea of is this a rebuilding year, is this not a rebuilding year? Whatever that is, there's just something about this team I think that, you know, inspires this level of just like, you know, all out craziness from the fans. Um you saw it from the very beginning of the season with Aaron Judge immediately becoming a folk hero and the Judge's Chambers thing starting. Maybe this isn't the nicest thing to say, but one of the most notable things to me is just game four, the nonstop, you know, chance at Jay Bruce. It's like, what are the chances that, you know, Jay Bruce could become an enemy of 
anybody. Jay Bruce happens to be like one of you know the world's nicest people. Um, I don't know. He wasn't too impressed with a chance. He yeah. said afterward, he was like, "Come on, guys." Right, <laughs> but, but still, but, but still, that was the stuff. My point being, that was the stuff that wasn't there in 2010, in 2011, in 2012. There was just this idea of it seemed, you know, okay, postseason baseball. Let's see what happens. Whereas here, it was just like we are part of this team, we are part of this group, and it is our job to help get them out of this O2 hole. That stuff can be overrated. That stuff can be maybe a little silly. I'm not going to say that the Yankees won three games in a row because of a chant against Jay Bruce, but I will say that if you're going to do that stuff, it's pretty awesome to have the fans be on your side in that way, and it was an awesome environment here. That I was here when they clinched in 2009, and that was bedlam, obviously, but I don't know if I've ever heard sustained over the course of several games like it's been so far for this postseason. And the players, they hear it and they feel it and they all spoke to it afterwards. When a pitcher's on the mound and he's got two strikes on a batter and the crowd is In just... the first inning. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. From the first inning to the very last inning. Yeah, they are or like in game four with, with a big lead, mm-hmm. um, you know, the crowd still was not... They never let up. No. And you know, one thing that impressed me a lot is, you know, wildcard game... You know, the first inning goes so badly. And yeah, it got a little quieter in there, but it didn't fall off a cliff in the way it sounded like Progressive Field did last night, right. where the, just the air got sucked out of that stadium so fast. Obviously, you know, in the wild card game, it did pick up once Gregorius hit the home run, oh, yeah. but you didn't get that feeling of just like, why are we here? Like, oh my God, this is over right. in the first People inning. People weren't like getting up and leaving or like just leaving their seats and going to eat. Like they were sitting there and for Brett Gardner's at bat, when he had that long at bat, they were there, they were cheering, they were they were on their feet for that too. So I think they stuck with it. So here we are, you know, done with the division series. I think it's worth pointing out two of the biggest at bats of the postseason run so far have been Brett Gardner's first at bat of the playoffs, which mm-hmm. was the, just a walk, you know, which didn't mm-hmm. seem huge in the moment. But the Yanks he, had fallen behind three nothing in the top of the first. Severino gets knocked out of the game, and you're thinking, all right, if we're going to come back, we need to start now. We need to at least get a run. That was my thought. We and, need to at least get one run. You know, Brett Gardner starts off the bottom half of the frame by drawing a walk. Mm-hmm. Huge. But, and 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 any time. You're getting on base in front of Aaron Judge. You know, you're doing right. something pretty positive. And then, obviously, two hours later, or three hours later, Gregorius hits the home run and hit the reset button. I think it's pretty amazing that with all the players on this team and the storylines on this team, and even, frankly, over the last three days, the pitching on this team, it's going to be hard. If, if things go for the rest of this postseason run the way the Yankees want them to, you know, you're going to have to spare a place in the storybook of, you know, the 2017 Yankee season for that ninth inning at bat by Brett Gardner last night. It's incredible. Because... I was on the edge of my couch. I was like, Brett, let's go. Let's go, Brett. Come on. <laughs> one more pitch. Keep going. Yeah. It was, I like needed a massage after it. I was so tense. <laughs> it wasn't the game winning hit. Chapman didn't give up a run. So, you know, you can play the sliding doors game all you want, but. It didn't matter into the outcome of the game on paper, but and, and and frankly, it really should have only been, you know, one run coming in there. It was a second run because of the error, mm-hmm. but just that was as fierce in at bat as I remember watching. And he credited Judge afterwards, which is interesting when you have a guy who what was he one for twenty in mm-hmm. the series, but still just the season that Aaron Judge had. He still fastball, 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 fastball. They didn't want to walk him. Exactly. You You can't load the bases for a guy who hit 53 home runs. So, you know, Gardner knew sit sit on the fastball and wait till I get one in the zone and. 
being the professional, experienced veteran hitter he is, he knows what to do with a pitch like that. And man, there's something to the fact that Allen works so unbearably slowly that it just made that like even more epic because it felt like there was a minute and a half between like you know battles in this war <laughs> um just every pitch and this he would just fight these things off and man you can't you you, you can't you know not tell the story of dd rigor hits from this game you can't not talk about what cc did and what robertson did and all, all these things you know you never you always want to be too careful that you know in trying to prop up a smaller moment you don't forget some of the bigger moments that put it there but man, that at bat is just not to be forgotten. And you put yourself in the Indians' shoes. Okay, we face Chapman in the eighth. We were down by one. Maybe we run into one in the ninth and tie this game. Kind of like last year, right? Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's it's in the back of everybody's mind. But the way Chapman's been throwing this postseason, mm-hmm. once it goes from a one-run game to a three-run game, and you only got three outs to work with. And that ninth, look, I mean, that ninth, he was not. The oldest Chapman in the ninth inning that he had been in the eighth inning. He had been sitting for over a half hour. Sure. It it was shakier, though. It It was, 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 if that was a one run game, that's very different. Obviously, if it's a one run game, he's probably not sitting for a half hour. Yeah. But, you know, look, he got it done and he didn't give up a run. But, man, that was a very different situation because of that at bat. But, yeah, again, not to, like, let's talk about Didi Gregorius, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Again, this goes back to the wild card game. There's There's a lot of symmetry between the wild card game. And game five last night. But, you know, DD saved, you know, the bacon and the wild card game by really resetting that game. And, I mean, that was pretty incredible last night. DD is one of, I don't know if it's fair to say that he doesn't get enough credit because I think he is getting credit, but I still think people overlook him a little bit mm-hmm. in favor of the judges and the Sanchez's and mm-hmm. even Severino. I think DD is still inexplicably flying under the radar on this team. Not for long. Yeah, a few more postseason games like this, and (laughs) (laughs) that will not be the case. But, I mean, if I told you before the series that we were going to have to face Corey Kluber in games two and five, and that he wasn't going to make it to the fifth in either one. I think he totaled less than six total innings against us. Just amazing. I don't know what the Yankees, you know, scouting report or game plan was against him but whatever it was it was genius because i mean he's an incredible pitcher he was it was you know scary having the the prospect of having to face him twice in a short series like that and i mean the way they attacked him was just it's incredible i say this as you know just a general baseball fan someone who really loves watching the game i love watching clever pitch i was excited to see a long battle in game two and then in game five with Kluber and I was a little bit you know bummed that it didn't play out that way just because I think it's more interesting when you know great players do great things in the postseason I think Kluber is a great player part of me hopes maybe he was a little hurt here but uh you know when it's not against uh you know the team that makes me a paycheck every other week I do uh really really hope that you know next year and beyond uh we can see again what we saw from him in the second half because he's just been so much fun to watch this year yeah well we're gonna see uh some more great players coming to yankee stadium we got more games here coming up next week more games more baseball uh, you know these houston astros i i feel the same about the astros as i do about the indians the regular season yeah the regular season they had was incredible i mean they we had a losing record against both these guys in the regular season but uh as we just saw postseason's a different animal so Hillary what are your uh what are you expecting here in this next round I am excited to see 
kind of the matchup between somebody in the stadium next week is going to win the MVP. It's either going to be Altuve or it's going to be Judge. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of excited to see them face off and how they can do in this series. I'm just excited to see them stand next to each other. I know. I think the <laughs> pictures are going to be great. Uh, I just want, you know, got to get that gram of Altuve <laughs> and Judge. I think I'm, I'm interested to see how we fare against Keuchel, especially after what he did to us a couple of years ago in the wild card game when he completely just manhandled us. I want to see how we fare against him now with this much different team in this much different situation. I don't know. I think, like you said, anything can happen. So I really, my expectations are zero at this point. I don't know what to expect. I, I am just, I am just here for it. I am here for all of it and we'll see what happens. I think it'll be fun. This is house money. I mean, this is... This season was not supposed to go this way. Um, and it's weird to say that from, you know, an office in Yankee Stadium. I think that the Astros are a great team. I seem to recall several years ago, Sports Illustrated predicting that they would win the World Series this year. So maybe they're right on their way. But I, I wouldn't want to play the Yankees. I said that before the Indian Series. Mm-hmm. I feel that way now. Um, you know, you've seen a team play really badly in one game um, and then get kind of unlucky in a second game. But if they can get five innings from their starting pitcher, I don't think that you expect that the Yankees will lose the game. There is no quit in this team. No matter what, they play to the last out. They play to the last game. They play to the last pitch. They are in it for the long haul, these guys. And they, they keep saying they're not done yet. They, oh. they want to keep going. And, it, you know, the thing that I liked about this team going into the postseason was the fact that everybody is healthy. You know, like there's been years where we kind of have sort of limped into the postseason or you might be missing one key guy. I mean, this lineup, it's like one through nine. You've got professional hitters that can do damage in every spot in the lineup every night. All of our starters are healthy. You know, the bullpen in great shape. So, um, and I'd also like to see us not fall in an 0-3 hole and have to battle back with elimination game after elimination game. I'd like to see, I mean, we're good at it, but I would prefer not to. My heart can't take it anymore. Yeah, it, it would be nice to, you know kind of go toe-to-toe for a little bit <laughs> but you know the little maybe undervalued underappreciated part of this division series is that you know a lot of our offense actually didn't show up for it yeah, yeah if um, we can get a couple more guys actually hitting the ball <laughs> yeah I mean, we have a designated hitter um position which it would be nice to get some hits from um you figure that's going to happen over the course of the next seven games. You figure Aaron Judge is going to hit. You figure Gary Sanchez is going to hit. Greg Bird had a huge hit, but he didn't have that much more. If some of these guys start hitting, again, just like, you know, I said that, you know, you get five innings from your starter and the bullpen can do the rest. Well, you get seven runs from your offense. This team should be able to win all these games like it, it just if, if these these guys can start hitting i remember feeling you know later in the season after the really bad run was through that there were still some guys that were just like man they're winning now and these guys aren't hitting like imagine if these guys do start hitting then sure enough in september the team you know started just crushing it mm-hmm. yeah so they're through the division series now these guys aren't really hitting if they start hitting i i, I truly believe that that can even if the pitching comes down the level from where it was in the division series if they start hitting We've seen with the Yankees offense. The Yankees offense can more than make up for insufficient pitching, I think. Yeah. And the pitching has been far from insufficient. Absolutely. Though. So yeah. I, 
again, anything can happen. We didn't even mention. I mean, we gotta we gotta show some love because we all feel the same about CC Sabathia. Oh my God, CC! What an incredible performance in Game Five. When I was doing my CC story, I was like, "This is a guy that nobody's talking about. Like, he's been here. He's the big game pitcher. He's the one guy on the on the roster." who's been the pitcher who's won these games and nobody else was saying it. I was like, guys, this guy, this big guy out here in the corner, he's going to be the one. And yeah. he has been. I know he, you know, he only lasted into the fifth, but I was not. How many strikeouts did he, he had finish? Nine, nine strikeouts. Nine strikeouts in four and four, a third? Four and a third innings. Four and two. Four, four and Yeah. And um, just, you know, what I really enjoyed was just like his overall body language last night. He was so calm. So relaxed. Even after the bunt, once he got a divot the size of New Hampshire, um, he was just laughing at Cece. He was like, gets angry if you bunted him. He's just laughing it up in the middle He's of our elimination. He's having so game. much fun. This is where he lives. This is what he loves to do. This is how he loves to play. I, I think it was in the maybe after the the first inning. The the FS1 cameras caught him yawning in the dugout. He was trying to hide it, but it was like, wow, this guy is not nervous. The the thing that I'm going to keep forever, and again, I mentioned, you know, that there should be a special play save for the Brett Gardner at bat. I assume you guys both know where I'm about to go with this, but so fourth inning gets the first out on another strikeout. And then just, I mean, he gave up four singles, you know, a couple of them, you know, just couple feet to the right yeah. it, it wasn't like he was getting crushed but obviously yeah. you know credit to Girardi he made the right decision got him out before it got bad but Robertson comes in there mm. gets that double play and oh. the camera goes to CC yeah. in the dugout just banging against the top of the rail in the dugout you know his head like it, it is just the perfect representation for us all to savor once CC Sabathia is no longer here to remember like who this guy was mm-hmm. it was just like you know I got knocked out of a playoff game earlier than I wanted to, but I am here for this. And then just that reaction, that was just like, you could just feel it coming off the screen, yeah. you know, the emotion and the relief in him when Robertson pulled another Houdini act, which is his thing. I know. It's like he never left. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, 2009 all over again. He throws a little slower now than he did back then, but he's still getting the job done, coming in with men on base and big postseason situations. And that was the first pitch, right? He came in through one pitch and got the double play. No, I think he, he was a couple pitches. I think it was a couple pitches. Because uh, no, the first pitch was they called it a strike, but it actually uh, it was questionable. CC got more than a few yeah, of those right, as well. Sure. There was a few of those going around last night. Um, I, I, the, and you know, I, I do think that changed the complexion of the at bat that uh, that call. But man, it was definitely the, like I, you couldn't do any better than he did there. He got the double play ball. By the way. Gregorius in the field. I just love watching that guy throw. There was this amazing play later also where Starlin made a great play on a ball that took a funky it little shoveled bounce. Shoveled it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and you just watch like Didi receive this thing just so cleanly. Like I-, I love watching that guy field. I mean, he deserves all the credit he's getting right now for the offense, and he's lifted the steam a lot in the course of the postseason so far. But I could watch him throw <laughs> all day. Yeah. All right, so it's been fun, guys. It has been fun. I'm so. Excited that we have more baseball games at Yankee Stadium this year. Ooh, Not done baseball. yet. And yeah, we're done, like I said, with uh, making Yankees magazine for the year during the ALCS and the World Series. Should we make it that far? The publications, the game day programs that are on sale are produced by Major League Baseball, not us. So uh, this October issue is is in the books. Uh, another season in the books for, for our publications. Um, 
officially. We're, we're going to keep finding ways to uh We'll to get, bug you, we'll guys. get yep. you some stuff. Don't you worry. John we're, will be bringing you some more behind-the-scenes uh, feature stories. We are in the content business That's here. That's right. <laughs> so we we'll will keep, bring we'll you keep podcasting. Content. We'll keep tweeting. You know, just stick with us. Yeah. And we're not done yet. We're not done yet. That's right. All right. See you soon, guys. All right. Thanks. Thanks.